0: When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the cock will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled.
1: just want to say before i start it is a massive um, thank you from us at trinity for your support i don't know if you know but you guys as a church financially support us and pray for us and it is brilliant to share in partnership in the gospel i hope you uh, if you want come and talk to me afterwards i'll stay around for a drink we'd love to share some of the things that are going on and um, so that we have that sense that together you're involved in what we're doing and we're involved in what you're doing but let's dive in hopefully if i press that yes here we go how do you cope? under pressure. I mean, life is stressful, isn't it? And sometimes there are times of intense pressure. I was just talking to Anthony before, and I think maybe in his house, they might be feeling it. Maybe in your house, maybe you're a kid, and you've got SATs, or you've got GCSEs, or you've got A-levels, and there is pressure going around. Or maybe it's your parents have become unwell, or maybe there's a problem with your kids at school, and you're having to go in regularly. Maybe you find a lump, and you go and see the doctor. Maybe you're made redundant or your wife leaves you. Stress. Pressure. Maybe you're right now in the midst of that storm. If not, just have a think about the last time you were under intense pressure and try and answer this question. How did you cope with that stress and pressure? What did it reveal about you? What did it reveal about what you love? What did it show you about your your strengths and your weaknesses? This morning, we're going to look at one of the highest pressure situations anyone could ever be in. We're coming to a really emotionally charged bit of the Bible, I want you to picture the scene. It's it's Passover. And so the disciples are celebrating the fact that God in the past has rescued his people. And it's Thursday night. It should be a happy meal, a relaxed time. But Jesus knows that by Friday night, he will be dead. He knows that in the next 24 hours, it is going to be an intense time for him. And he wants to help his disciples because he loves them. Now, John was one of those disciples and he was in the room and he's written down what happened so that we can listen in. So we'll pick up our reading and we're going to see that the cross displays God's glory. Uh, now, that's the NIV. It's very similar to the ESV, but um, let's, let's follow the story. So chapter 13, verse 31. When Jesus, sorry, When he was gone, Jesus said... Now we're jumping into the story partway through, Um, and what's happened in chapter 13 is Jesus has washed his disciples' feet at the Passover, and the disciples were shocked by that. They didn't think it was right that Jesus was serving them, and then Jesus told his disciples in verse 18 that one of them is going to betray him, and in verse 26, it becomes clear that that's Judas, and then in verse 30, Judas leaves the room to betray Jesus, And Jesus knows that as soon as Judas leaves the room, the trap has been sprung. The sequence of his arrest, trial and crucifixion has been set in motion. Jesus' death is coming now. Now, if you knew you were about to die, I wonder how you would describe that time. Maybe you'd say, it's a time to say goodbye. Look how Jesus describes it now when Judas was gone Jesus said now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him if God is glorified in him God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once my children I'll be with you only a little longer you'll look for me and just as I told the Jews so I tell you now where I'm going you cannot come John's gospel makes it clear Jesus knows the cross is coming Jesus keeps on talking about the hour, the time when he will die. And John spends the second half of his book focused in on it. He wants us to taste the emotion and sense the weight of Jesus' final words. See verse 33? Jesus turns to these grown men and calls them children. My dear children. He has compassion on them. He cares for them. He knows they're going to be shocked by the cross. He knows they're going to feel abandoned so he wants them to know that a cross isn't a failure now uh, this picture is the most liked picture on Instagram 75 million people around the world have looked at that picture and said yes i like it that is great Now some of you may be into Instagram, I'm not really, I don't really get it, but it seems that when people post on Instagram, what they're trying to do is capture a moment of glory in their life, when other people will look at it and say, yeah, that is special, that's impressive. I wonder if any of you have a messy World Cup moment, a photo that sums up your glory. If you were to define your life by a single moment... What would it be? For God, the cross is that moment. Yes, for Jesus it's going to be painful, distressing, horrifying. But that moment in real space-time history where Jesus dies on the cross and is raised to life and ascends into heaven, that is the story that reveals God's glory. If Messi holding the World Cup displays his glory, Jesus dying on the cross displays his glory. John's gospel keeps on putting Jesus' death and his glory together. It's as if John is saying, if you want to know how great Jesus is, look at the cross. So in in verse 31 and 32, I want to go back. Jesus says, the cross will glorify him and it will glorify the Father. You see, Messi's Instagram post was really, really well-liked because it recognises his success. It sums up his glory. The cross of Jesus sums up God's glory. It shows it to us. It shows us both God's wrath and his mercy. His holiness and his love. It reveals his patience and his justice. It shows his grace, his kindness, his mercy. It shows us that Jesus willingly sacrificed himself for me. It shows that God the Father so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will be saved. It shows us that God hates sin. He hates children being abused. He hates the poor being oppressed. He hates lies. He hates greed. He hates pride. You just can't sweep sin under the carpet. He's too good for that. So God steps in to pay our debt and offer forgiveness to anyone. If you want to see God's glory, look at the cross. As you meditate on it, you'll see his goodness, his kindness, his justice, his hatred of sin, his mercy. See, for Jesus, the next 24 hours are going to be filled with wickedness, assault, lies, deception, abandonment. And yet, Jesus says, in the midst of all of that, you will see my glory. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going away. And through his death and resurrection, he creates a new community. And the cross displays his glory, and he calls this new community to reflect some of that glory. He calls them to love each other like that. Look there at chapter 13, verse 34. It says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. To love one another it isn't a new command. It's in the Old Testament. But the thing that's new about verse 35 is the way we are to love one another. We are to love as Jesus has loved us. He calls his disciples towards costly love for each other. And the cross displays his costly, sacrificial love. It reveals his glory and he calls people to reflect that in the way that they treat each other. So if you're a Christian, you are called to love other Christians like that. With costly, sacrificial love. Love in action. Not just some vague feelings, but loving actions. Jesus loves by giving us what we need when it costs him greatly. Christian love creates communities that are radically countercultural. Because our culture is constantly telling us, what you need to do with your life is fulfill your desires. Live out your desires. Do whatever you want inside. Do what's best for you. But Christians deny themselves and lay down their lives for one another. When we love like Jesus, we we generously welcome new people, even though it means we get less time to spend with some other people. And we stick with people when they struggle, even when they become really hard work. We don't simply support one another when it works for me, but we sacrifice our time. We give up things for the sake of others. Costly, cross-shaped love. Now, it's encouraging for me, from a distance, to see that love already at work amongst you. It's a sign that you're his disciples. Now, I'm not your pastor, and I don't know you all really well, but I reckon it's safe to say... This is something that we could all grow in. I wonder if in this period, as you're seeking to appoint another full-time elder, you could commit as a church to doing verse 34 with one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. I wonder what it looks like for you to grow in this love at the moment. What do you need to sacrifice in order to love other Christians well? What is Jesus calling you to do for other Christians? What should you be doing differently to live out this cross-shaped love amongst the people here? How should your attitudes change? How should your speech change? change. Take Jesus' words seriously. He says this kind of love is the defining mark of a Christian. See, being a Christian isn't about wearing certain clothes or being religious or whatever. Verse 35 is the mark of a Christian. It is love for other Christians. It's sacrificial, cross-shaped love. So 200 years after Jesus, a guy called Tertullian um, wrote that the Roman culture was shocked by the Christians. And the thing that shocked them was how Christians loved each other. And our culture is becoming more and more like that culture in Rome. Our culture is becoming more and more fractured, more and more offended by Jesus' exclusive claims, more and more sexually liberal. So what does Egbeth need? What does Liverpool need? It needs churches filled with Christians who radically love one another. Because Christians loving each other like that puts flesh on the bones of the truths of Christianity. As people in your community and mine get the chance to see the way that we love each other, it will seem strange to them. Our churches mustn't be exclusive social clubs filled with people just like me. No, my church, and I hope yours, is filled with a bunch of people who wouldn't normally hang out together. There are people in my church who I find annoying. People who have very different views on politics and parenting and veganism. We have all sorts of preferences. But the amazing thing to the watching world is that these people love each other. In our church, the privately educated consultant is friends with a guy who grew up in a gang and is battling addiction. The Liverpool season ticket holder happily cares for the Man United supporter. The pensioner who grew up living a very sheltered life is now befriending people with criminal records and inviting them round for a cup of tea. As people come into our churches, they should be struck by that strange love for one another. This love that echoes the love that Jesus has shown to us, that helps them to see the gospel is true. You know what? Sacrificial love does exist. As we love like Jesus, we reflect something of his glory. But let me be really, really clear. Being a Christian is not about what you do. We're going to see the danger of deluding ourselves now. Um, Here we go. So verse 36. Simon Peter uh, asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I'm going you cannot follow now, but you'll follow later. Peter asked him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. Now Peter is committed to Jesus. But the sad reality is, he is blind to his own weakness. Me and the Apostle Peter have the same name, but we also have a lot of similar character flaws. I tend to rush in thinking that I can fix everything, and then I just end up failing. Too often I do that, whether it's with DIY or with relationships. I think, I can do this. And then I come up short. I fail to follow through. I think I'm strong, but then I'm shown to be weak. Can you see in this passage? Peter is all talk and he's no trousers. He makes big claims, but when push comes to shove, he will let Jesus down. Verse thirty-seven. It's dripping with irony. He says, "I'll lay down my life for you." Jesus says, "Really?" Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our weakness. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows how bent out of shape we are by sin. He knows we're failures. He knows how often we have good intentions, but we fail to carry them through. And Jesus gently wants to expose Peter and us. He wants us to see that we are weak. He wants Peter to realise that Peter isn't the saviour. Jesus is. Peter was one of the best disciples. He was loyal and strong. And even he was an absolute failure. He let Jesus down. I think that's a decent working definition of a Christian. A Christian is someone who lets Jesus down. Being a Christian isn't always about doing great things for God, being strong and sorted so that God looks at you and says, oh, I'm so glad I've got you on my team. You've got lots to offer me. Now, being a Christian is a repeating cycle of letting Jesus down and coming back to him for grace. Time and again, realising my bankruptcy before God. I've slowly... Learning the lesson that Jesus doesn't need me to die for him. I need him to die for me. Can you imagine being Peter? I wonder how you would feel by verse 38. I wonder if your whole world would have just bottomed out. You've made this really grand gesture. You feel like you've really stepped up to the mark. Then Jesus said, Nah, you won't stick by me. You are going to disown me three times. Maybe you even have that feeling at the moment, that kind of lacking of assurance. Am I really a Christian? Have I blown it now? I'm never going to make it to heaven. I'm too much of a disappointment. A lot of the stress in our world is caused by the feeling that we need to be our own Lord and Saviour. But Jesus speaks words of comfort to his disciples who he says are dear children. So let's just finish by looking at those words in uh, 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's told them that he's going to go away and they can't follow him. Uh, Now, that would be really troubling for these men, because they've given up their careers, and they've started following Jesus, and they're thinking, what's going to happen next? And imagine being the Apostle Peter. Jesus has said, you're going to disown me. You might think you're a great disciple, but you're deluded. You are going to let me down. And then in the next breath, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He speaks words of comfort into their confusion. That word, troubled, has that sense of being unsettled, disturbed. In a turmoil. I'm sure we all know that feeling, don't we? When we're gripped by fear and uncertainty. Jesus says to his disciples, I know this is troubling for you. But it doesn't have to be. Let me tell you something. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Jesus knows these disciples feel abandoned. But he wants them to realize the cross is the way he will prepare a place for them. He's going to go through the cross so that sinners like me and you will one day find our way back home will be in the Father's house. Jesus says, if he, verse 3, goes to the cross, through the cross, he will defo come back and get you. The disciples were filled with fear because they felt Jesus was abandoning them. Often I'm filled with fear because I feel like I've let Jesus down and maybe he will give up on me. I was reading uh, something... I think it was in the Atlantic recently, um, and a guy was uh, talking about what's going on in our society at the moment, and he said this, and I just thought he he was commenting on kind of culture, and he says, this idea of rejecting any concept of a God and saviour hasn't led to personal happiness. He says it's created a neurotic generation of malcontents. Rejecting the idea that there is a God who we can worship and rule over us. Has, uh, we, we think it's going to lead to happiness. But it's created a neurotic generation of malcontents. A bunch of people under pressure, filled with fear. Never satisfied. I see that so often. Well, Jesus comes and speaks comfort to this neurotic ger- generation of malcontents. He comes and speaks comfort to me. And to you, he says, I'm going to the cross to prepare a place to bring you safely home. When we're under pressure, it reveals a lot about us. It often displays our weaknesses. Maybe as you were thinking about what's going on in your house at the moment, maybe if you've got exams or maybe you you can think back to that time of pressure and you can see kind of all the ugliness that comes out of your heart. It does often display our weaknesses. Just think about when Jesus said these words. Jesus knows that tomorrow he's going to face the agony of the cross. He is the one who has the right to be troubled in his heart. In this situation, surely, he's the one who should be getting comfort. If you think about it, Jesus' friends, they should have been coming alongside Jesus and comforting him and encouraging him and strengthening him. But instead, he comforts them. This is a great image to dwell on. It's a great comfort for selfish, sinful people like me. Right at the time when Jesus needs comfort, he's about to be murdered, he gives comfort. All the disciples seem to be worried about is that Jesus is going away. They're just worried about themselves and their loss. They don't seem to be bothered about Jesus at all. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he just jumps to his feet, doesn't he? And he says, lads, you need to stop this. Stop it. It's not about you. I'm the one who's going to face all of this. Help me out. Why are you all so self-involved? I'd crack like that. Don't you know what I'm going to do for you? You should love me. You should be comforting me. But no. Jesus goes and comforts them. He doesn't shout at them. He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't tell them off for being so self-involved. He comforts them and serves them. Jesus loves his people so much that he stoops down to serve us. He prepares a place for us through the cross and his resurrection. But his service of his people isn't limited just to the cross. Uh, Jesus isn't like the husband who ignores his wife all year long and then at Christmas buys her a convertible. Uh, as if like, doing one grand gesture is enough and then lives the rest of his life and just goes to his wife, oh, I'm going out to the pub again, and just ignores her. And, so, and she says, oh, don't you love me? Well, I bought you that convertible, didn't I? Jesus is not like a cold, distant husband who does the occasional grand gesture. So yes, the cross does display all of his glory, but his love isn't limited to that event. Jesus loves his people and he sticks by them through thick and thin. He's not a distant husband who demands things from us because he's done this grand gesture. Now, he's like the loving husband who will do anything for his wife, he is not focused on himself. Even when she should be comforting him, he is comforting her. He'll do anything for her. He'll die for her. Jesus, under pressure, reveals his heart. The Pressure reveals his committed, compassionate love for sinners like me and you. So come to him. Come to him today. Maybe you've forgotten about that. Maybe you've never realized that that's what he's like. Come to him. Consider the glory of the cross and realize it's not simply a grand gesture, but it's a culmination of his love for you. He loves you so much that he willingly dies for his people. And he still has that love for his people today. If you are his, if you have repented and believed the gospel, then even if you're a disappointment, even if you are a failure, even if you're deluded into thinking that you are amazing, even if you're so self-involved that you make everything about you, even if you're annoying, even if you are slow to learn, even if your heart is cool towards Jesus, He loves you. On the night before his murder, Jesus loved his disciples like that. And he loves his people like that now. He will not abandon us. We can find comfort because he will bring us home. We're going to take a moment of quiet and then I'm going to pray. Lord God, we pray that you would help us to realise what an awesome God you are. We pray that you'd help us to uh, dwell on the cross, be people who realise that that reveals your glory, your majesty, the way that you are able to be both holy and gracious, the way that you deal with sin and offer forgiveness. Lord, we pray that you would work by your spirit that none of us would miss this opportunity to come And be forgiven, to escape the judgment that we deserve. Pray for any who are not yet Christians, Lord, to find out more of the Lord Jesus and be drawn to him. Pray for those of us who maybe are Christians but are struggling in some way. Maybe we're doubting your loving care for us. Maybe we've just got lost into thinking that we need to be the Lord and saviour of our lives. Maybe we've deluded ourselves pray that you'd help us to see your grace, see your kindness, see your love. We thank you so much for our Lord Jesus Christ and we pray that by your spirit you would cause us to worship him now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.